What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. Welcome to episode 48 of the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where we sit down with some of America's greatest leaders and find out how they have led with their faith out in front. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike Lynch, and it is my honor to be on this leadership journey with you. As you and I both are seeking to be the leaders that we were created to be in the space and the place that God has put us. Well, hopefully you are beginning summer, either on vacation, looking forward to vacation, or at least getting one on the calendar. We all need that time to unwind and recharge. And I know when I get away, it's always a a big podcast time for me. I'll try to get out early in the morning and put my headphones in and walk a little bit and uh, listen listen to leaders and be challenged a little bit in my leadership. No matter where you are today, no matter what you're doing, you're in for a treat. We get to sit down today with Dan Ryland. You may not know, Dan, if you're in the church world, you sure do. If you're in the educational or business or athletic world, you may be familiar with the name, but today when we get done, you're going to want to know the name. Dan serves as the executive pastor at 12 Stone Church in Lawrenceville, Georgia. 12 Stone is one of the greatest churches, not only in America, but in the world. Kevin Myers and uh, the lead pastor there and his team have done an amazing job really sort of doing this behind the scenes, but building one of America's greatest churches. And Dan is one of the architects. Dan served for many years alongside John Maxwell as as his executive pastor at Skyline Westland, and then moved to Atlanta as his vice president of leadership and church development at John's company, Enjoy. Dan is a thinker. Dan is a brilliant, brilliant mind when it comes to leadership. And I tell you what, no matter your field, no matter what you're doing, Dan Ryland has something for you. So if there was ever a week you wanted a notebook out, there's ever a week you wanted to press pause and get back to your office so you can type a little bit, it's this week. Dan Ryland is a thought leader, and he's one of those people that's going to make you better than when he found you. So I want you to pull up a chair. And I want you to listen in to my time with Dan Ryland. Well, Dan, thank you so much for joining me today on Lynch with a Leader. It is an honor to sit down with you, buddy. Thank you, Mike. I've been looking forward to this, and I'm I'm just thrilled for us to jump in and have a great conversation together. I know. I hate we're not at PF Chang's having this conversation with a microphone on the table, but I'll have to. We'll have to grab that later. You'll do it. PFJ. That's the spot. Every time I go, I think about you. I think I think you've got a placard there above the table, I believe, with your name on it. I know I put some of the uh, the, the staff there through college. So, you know, I, I don't own stock, but I, I do own some, some college rights, I think. You should. You should. Well, Dan, in the, in the church world, and I know when we were talking a little bit before we went on air, We've got a lot of business leaders that listen to this, a lot of coaching leaders that listen to this. We have a lot of pastors. In the the church world, you are a pioneer, a trendsetter. But what I love about what you do is you develop and coach leaders. 
talk to us a little bit about that desire that you felt like God put in your heart a lot of years ago to develop leaders. Talk a little bit about that. Well, it, it, it's a passion for the next gen. It's, it's in my heart. I, I, I think, honestly, Mike, it, it's a personal thing, the way God birthed it in me. I was very blessed to have several mentors in my life, young, young and way back, and and uh, including, of course, John Maxwell for some 20 years. And so when you're when you're blessed and you have so much poured into you and you just get filled up, you feel fortunate. And so I think God just kind of turned that in my mind. To, how could I keep all that for myself? I want to pour it out to others. And what happened was I found I discovered I love doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, it's one thing that you think you should do it. But when you also discover you love to do it, that births a passion that drives it forward. That's so good. So early days, you were you worked with John out at Skyline, out in San Diego. What are some things that when you began, I think you began there as an intern. I think you closed the intern program, right, when you were done there? That's right. And yeah. so you began those early days with John. Did you see that leadership engine in John, even back all those years ago when he was pastoring for a living? Oh, he was, he was, John has always been an incredibly gifted leader. He's always had high octane. Uh, the thing that, one of the, one of the many things I love about John is that he, he truly cares about people. He's got a, a pastoral heart, uh, but he combines that with a high drive, He's incredibly productive. Uh, you know, he's the kind of guy where we're on an airplane together some, somewhere, and I'm just getting out my book to read it, to, to, to figure out a, a talk or a blog I might make, you know, and he's already written six books. <laughs> got this productivity that's amazing. Now, I'm sharpening my pencils, and he's finished another talk, you know? That's amazing. That's amazing. And so for years, you were you were really the pioneer in the church world of the executive pastor. So in the business world, political world, they'd be like a chief of staff. Right. Talk to us a little bit about what all was entailed in that role and how leadership really began to bleed in to you and how you lead. Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I was one of the, the early ones to take this role back back in the 80s when we really didn't barely knew early 80s we uh, we barely knew what it was <laughs> and so kind of a funny thing or a, or a discovery thing Mike uh, for the first year we really couldn't figure out what I was supposed to do mm-hmm. we know we needed to do it but we tried and we stumbled and fumbled and it just didn't work and so literally I said John why don't we figure out what you're supposed to do and then I'll do everything else <laughs> that's, that's so good that actually worked and of course over the years as, as the church grew and now 12 stones grow. We've, that's gotten more sophisticated, more refined. And, and, uh, but, but, but the nature of leadership birthed out of it. I think in the way back in the beginning, I think, I think it was thought of like a management or administrative thing. And, and, and I'm, I, I'm certainly can and do administrative things, but I'm not financially oriented. I'm not our CFO. I don't do the policies. It really birthed more over into a leadership coach and someone who designs the ministries, uh, which I think came from John's coaching and mentoring of me. And, and even back then, we had a brilliant administrator CFO type. That's so good. So what, what does leader, we throw out that word leadership. What, 
what is your definition you work off of for leadership? What, what, when you say that word, what bleeds out of you? Well, in, in, you know, with being mentored by John for all these years, it has to be, you know, the one word definition of leadership is influence. Mm-hmm. But if I were to just unpack that a little bit more in, in, this, in this church realm and spiritual realm, like I would say influence, of course, influence, but used uh, influence used for the good of people and the advancement of God's kingdom. Mm. So th- that's how I would kind of put that into a sentence. And that can be done anywhere. That 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 applies to as much at 12 Stone. You've got a phenomenal church out there. That applies to much uh, the guy that's going down to Sugarloaf Parkway to work on Monday as the coach that's going out to uh, the Gwinnett Stripers now. He's coaching for the Gwinnett Stripers. Going out there, that applies to any level, doesn't it? And, it, and it, when you that, that first part when you influence for the good of people, that, that's a that's a shaping thing. We could say, well, that's assumed, but you know what? It's really not assumed. You know, it, sometimes it, sometimes it's influence for somebody's personal good, but mm. the good of others for the good of people. And and of course, in the spiritual realm and the church realm, like the advancement, as you would know, the advancement of God's kingdom, something bigger than all of us. When did you begin to see that God had gifted you in that area of leadership and being able to help other people with that? You know, as a as a, as a kid, I, I really didn't see myself as a leader. I, I think I had leadership traits and behaviors I saw when I was in Boy Scouts and things. You know, looking back, I could I could see that, but I didn't see myself that way. I don't think I behaved that way. I don't think I took that kind of initiative. I had the drive, but I didn't have the initiative. I didn't know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, honestly, it wasn't until my conversion, 18 years old, uh, back in Southern, Southern California, I'm a SoCal kid, you know, native of San Diego, uh, 18 years old, uh, when I said yes to Jesus, he actually changed me in a profound way. Wow. Not like I was a kid on drugs and doing all kinds of stuff, not that kind of uh, profound thing, but I was, I was quieter, I was more uh, introverted kind of. And he just changed me from the inside out and birthed me, birthed the leadership in me. Or, or if it, maybe it was in me and he activated it. Uh, uh, an interesting story, Mike, it would seem bizarre. None of us would ever do this this way in terms of leadership. But in terms of my first, my first leadership role, I, I'm 18. <laughs> I, I, I was in the high school group. I went up to the college group at Skyline Church, right? And there's like a couple hundred collegians, they called them back in the day, in this, in this group. And at the end of the class, at the end of my first day, I'm just this kid, in, a freshman in college, sitting in the back row. And the new pastor and the outgoing pastor of the group said, is there some guy in here named Dan Ryland? And I looked like, I just got here. How could I have done something wrong? I just sat down. I, what, what did they, look? they took me to lunch. And they said, God told us you're supposed to be the next leader of this entire group in ministry. And I thought, what? I just got here. I said, well, but God told us you're the guy. And it started right there, and I never stopped leading. That is amazing. So was it just a random thing that they heard you were there? Did you ever hear more of that story of why they felt like God had impressed you on their heart? Honestly, no, because I was, again, a quiet kid. I said yes to Jesus at Easter, so I wasn't in the high school group more than a couple of months, and then went right into the college, you know, in, in June, and 
I, I didn't know anybody or do anything. And so I don't know how they figured that out. I mean, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, yeah. And, and so uh, that kind of launched me into coming alongside the, the pastor of the college group. And for several years, we led it together and I got to practice and strange things happened. I mean, I was the earliest, youngest kid ever, the only kid ever invited to sit on the church board under Pastor Butcher. And, and I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what I was doing at all. But God was letting me, he just kind of pushed me in the deep end of the pool and said, kid, I want you to lead. That is amazing. That is amazing. So as you look back, John, or at, at, at your time with John, your time at Skyline, your time at 12 Stone, you have watched great teams come together and have been a part of building great teams. What are some of the traits, Dan, of great teams that you've seen, worked with, witnessed? What would you say? You know, I think I, I, I used to always start with with competence, you know, how, how good are you? But I've, I've shifted over the years, Mike. It, I really think it's chemistry. Mm. I think that there, there's that there's a connect there's a connection there's a, a heart level bond i mean they want to be together they want to play together they want to work together they want to win together and there's you know it, it start of course you got to have a you want a players of course but uh, uh it's the most with that chemistry because i think that chemistry sparks the drive it sparks the passion to grow it sparks the passion to be better uh, you call each other out you call each other up and and I think then it allows you to be aligned and united on a vision. To, I mean, every team wants to win, and so we want to win. We we want to grow. We want to we want to get better. And and that then, when your vision is big, and you want to win, you want to you know whether you're in world or whether you're in uh, business or in the church. You know, a win for the church is to reach more people for Jesus. So we all define, we all want to win. We just define it different. But then when you, when you, when that your, your, your chemistry, you're connected, you're united, you're, you're, you're telling each other. And then the vision's big, you want to win. And so that then uh, produces the drive to get better. I think, I think that's the direction it works rather than just sort of independently thinking, I want to, I want to be better. I want to be the best. It's hard to manage that drive and sustain the drive to be the best, to be better, to grow when you've got no purpose or, or thing to win. Does that make sense? That makes total sense. So in that in that chemistry, and I just worked with a with a local team yesterday doing I did disc for them, a disc trainer. And so we went in, we were doing disc. What role does conflict? So if if a team has great chemistry, does it mean that conflict is not there or what, what would you say to that in teams that you've been a part of? I think conflict's definitely there. I think the key word is you want, you want, you don't, you don't want unresolved conflict. Mm. That's the key. Uh, I, I think healthy teams have conflict. Healthy teams are honest. Healthy teams uh, mix it up at the table and they disagree. That's how you get sharper. Uh, but a healthy team, you're, you're in a meeting, you're in a, you know, whether it's a formal one or informal, and you know it might get might even get a little tense, might even get a little heat in the room, but you know you've got a you've got a healthy team. When you, when you walk out the door, everybody can go have pizza together. It's it's mm -hmm. still cool. 
But when you go out the door and the and the and the and the junk talk starts happening in the hallways and the gossip and they kind of begin to get divided, that's not a healthy team. So conflict is normal. Unresolved conflict is a problem. So as a leader, you're leading a team. There's you you're in a boardroom, you're meeting, you're brainstorming, you you feel that conflict coming up. You sense that one of the participants hasn't aired all they need to air. You're the leader. You're the guy managing that group. How do you handle that? What do you do with that? You know, sometimes they'll shut down. Sometimes they'll shut down because this somebody else has got a bigger personality in, at the table. Sometimes they'll shut down because they feel like they're not high enough on the org chart. And if I ever see someone shutting down and they're not finished, they're not getting that last thought out, I'll go back and say, come on now, you didn't finish. let's get it out what is it you want to say i'll I'll pull it out of them and so i i want the people at the table to talk i do care however how they talk Mm. i don't i don't think it's good to allow disrespect in the room i think it could be heat i think it could be you know straight shooting direct i i think it can be you know pretty pretty straightforward and tough but not disrespect when you start making it personal, that's then that becomes hurtful, and that's a whole different ballgame. Will you call timeout if you sense that it's going that way, and you're the leader in the room? Have you ever had to go, whoa, 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 whoa let's time out, let's take a deep breath? Have you ever had to do that before? Absolutely, literally, just what you did. I, I, I literally have my hands up and go, whoa, 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 hey, 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 what, what, what? No, no, just like that. That's good. That is so good. I know that one of your principles is that you see people through your own lens. What does it mean? So we're working in a collaborative environment, a team environment, whether it's a church or a business or in a coaching, even in the coaching world. What is it that you what is it that you mean when you see people through your own lens? Well, I think we all do. Uh, you, you're, what's inside you, you you look out through your own mind, your own experience, your own heart, and and so you see from the inside out. And so if you don't know yourself, if you're not self-aware, you'll never see other people accurately, because your own vision, if your own vision from the inside, knowing yourself is is blurred, you can't see. It's like having glasses on that don't work. You've got to have the correct uh, uh, glasses on to see others accurately. And if you don't see people correctly, you can't connect and you can't lead. Mm. You just can't connect. It's kind of like, you know, we've all heard this many times. Some people are half, the cup is half empty people. Some people are like, the cup is half full. Well, it's that kind of lens. You, you see all of life that way. You see people that way. And so uh, it's the design that's inside you is the way you look out and you see people from your life, your background, your history, your perspective, your bias. Your personal notions, are you positive or negative? That's how you see that's how you see people, that's how you see life. Can you teach somebody to be self-aware that's not? Can you can you coach them into that? You you can, but I tell you where it starts. It's a great question. I don't think anybody's ever asked that. They have to want it. Hmm. They have to want to be self-aware. They they have to be open and receptive. So if somebody is defensive and, and doesn't want to grow, um, I, I've I've literally sat with uh, people over the years, and we'll we'll say to them what is blatant and obvious to everybody, and they'll literally look at you square in the eyes and 
deadpan sincere saying that no i didn't or that's not me or they, mm -hmm. they so can't see it but they resist it and they defend but the, if you're open and receptive absolutely it's kind of fun it's almost i don't want to overdo this glasses analogy i don't know why i'm thinking about that but it's almost like giving somebody who can barely see a brand new pair of glasses. Boy, that's good. And and they and they I, I remember, you know, back in college I didn't wear glasses. And the first time I was sitting in a this is so funny, I was sitting in a Marie Callender's. And uh, you ever had their pie? No. And, oh, Marie Callender's pie, Southern California. It was the best. And and I was sitting in Marie Callender's. I hadn't put on my new glasses yet. I remember I was sitting in the restaurant and I put on my new glasses and I looked up on the wall. And there were fr there were framed pictures on the wall, and I saw frames for the first time. Wow! I never seen. I didn't know they had frames. I didn't see the frames. I couldn't. I couldn't see. And the, and that crisp little line of an outline on the pictures. I and I like I blew my mind. I thought, wow, the pictures have frames on them. You know, and and, and it's. I see people like that when you put the glasses on and you help them see. They go, oh my gosh, I never saw that before, and they're changed. They're changed forever. And and they get excited about it because they clearly they go, I didn't know. And then they 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 get more hungry to change. They get more hungry to change. Is there is there any practice that you've learned through the years, Dan, to keep yourself from being that guy? You know, I remember reading in Tony Dungy's book, um, well, I thought it was uncommon, but he said, if you've been in a class over two weeks or more and you don't know who the class jerk it is, jerk is, it's probably you. Is there any practice you've put in to keep yourself self-aware as you've grown in leadership? A couple of things. One, one is is I, I've always given mentors permission to speak truth into my life, and and then I try my best. I haven't always been successful, but most of the time I think I'm not defensive. Because mm -hmm. if I if if a, if a coach is talking to me, and I just get defensive, and and say that's not true or no I'm not or well then then what's the point? But but I think those two things. Letting letting a mentor speak truth, but then having my the disposition of my heart one that I'm not defensive. Boy, that's really good, and that really ties in with something I wanted to ask you. You encourage leaders to listen from their heart. What does that mean to you when you use that phrase? Listen from your heart. It's a great question. I I I, uh, I think we think we listen, but. I think many of us are just hearing things. We're not listening. You can you can hear sound, but you're not listening. That's why I'll give you an example, then I'll answer your question. That's why uh, so many people will hear when you get introduced. Let's say you get introduced to somebody for the first time. They'll hear a name. They'll hear the name, and you forget it two seconds later. The reason is because you weren't listening. Hmm. You hear the name, but you weren't listening. And I think the way to do that, it, and, and by the way, what happens in that moment is when you're more preoccupied about what they think of you than what you think of them, you, your your energy is kind of inward rather than outward. And so it's difficult to remember anything other than what do they think of me? And so that leads to my answer to your question is, uh, I think we have to set our own agenda and concerns aside. Mm. Set our agenda aside and set our concerns aside and listen with true empathy, like, like, who is this person? And this is going to be fun to get to know them. And uh, I want to set my mind to actually care about you kind of a thing. 
In other words, listen, I, I say this, this might not be helpful, it might be dumb, Mike, but listen like they're your own kids. Mm. Listen like that. That's how I find my heart. Listen like they're my own kids. Listen, and this one, at least for the, the environment I'm in, listen like you think Jesus might listen to you. Mm. Uh, as a spiritual leader, that, that one speaks to me. Uh, uh, and but both of them actually work. Like the first one, you know, listen like, listen like they are your own kids. What's it like when you work with somebody who has that ability to listen that way. So you've worked along some side, because we've worked with a lot of people who don't listen that way. But when you meet that rare leader who does listen, and I love that, like you listen to your child, or even like Jesus would listen to us. When you work with somebody like that, what does that do to you as a follower of them and a, a teammate of theirs? What would you say? Well, it, 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 it draws, first of all, it draws me in, uh, it, make, it makes me want to know them better, to be closer to them, to be more connected. Uh, it, re, it increases trust. Mm-hmm. It increases trust because I think, you know what, they're really not all about them. They actually care about me in, in that moment. And so, uh, and, and that's a lost art. We're, we're all, it's, you know, people are in such a hurry. Uh, I think, I really do think listening is a lost art. I think people are in such a hurry. Life has gone, Mike, so fully digital. And time compression is an, an all-time high. I think we try to live as fast as our devices can go, even though it's impossible. We try to live at the speed of devices, and it doesn't work, but we still try. And, and if someone can't say what they want to say in a few seconds or a couple of minutes, people start to check out because they're used to, they're, they're used to things at hyperspeed. I mean, if Google can't get your answer in seconds, we get frustrated. In seconds. <laughs> Yep. And I think, Mike, we transfer that into people. Uh, and, and finally, because of our devices, I think we've lost much of our face-to-face, voice-to-voice practice. And by the way, I'm all into digital. I got, I got all the phones and I got all the stuff, too. It's all wonderful. But, but that stuff, it, it, it starts to break down our ability to listen. So when somebody does, it's a gift. It's a gift. Boy, that's so good. I love that phrase, live at the speed of our devices. I've never heard that before, but that is that is spot on. And it makes you wonder at what speed is this whole thing going to break down sure. where, yeah, all relationships are lost, all there, there's no depth. There's no depth built anymore. That is a that is a great. I don't know if you've used that a lot before, but that is a great line, Dan. That's really good. That is really good. What what can you what can a person do to increase their ability to listen? Because listening is a lost art. What is what are some tools that you've used through the years, thinking like it's your child, pretending that you know the how Jesus listens to us? Are there any other tools that you've used to help you become a better listener? Yeah, they they, they are, but they're not popular tools. But I'll, I can say what they are. They're not popular because we like crisp, hard, functional tools and these are these are what i would call on the soft side of tools and so the first one is you have to slow down and i i hate to slow down and most of the people i run with barely know how to slow down Mm -hmm. so if you can't or won't slow down you can't listen you can't the second tool again on the soft side not a crisp clear you know uh, thing to do but 
The second one is is to, uh, in, in that process of slowing down, is to really want to uh, hear what somebody has to say. You you have to you you're slowing down. You want to process, and you really want to find out who they are. You, what's a better way to say? It? Oh, here's a better way to say it: to to be in the moment with that person. And, and here's a good way to test. If you slow down, be in the moment, those are two tools. Slow down, be in the moment. And the third one is, uh, are you forming your next question before they're done talking or after they're done talking? Because it's, you know, a, a, a great interviewer knows how to formulate questions in advance. And that's a great gift and a great skill. But somebody who's adding empathy to that, you're not just knowing what, Kind of an intelligent question to ask your next question often comes in response to the last thing they said mm-hmm. now you know you've slowed down and you're listening that's so good you're in the moment you're in the moment that's that's exactly right and it's so easy not to be in the moment gosh when we grew up and you're you're a little ahead of me, but when we grew up, I didn't have a day timer or a calendar. I just I got home in the afternoons and played till it was dark, and then went to bed. I mean, that's just what you did. You do you weren't scheduled. Now we're teaching our kids. You know, they got to be at this practice on this night, and this recital on this night, and it just it perpetually gets crazier as we get older. So here you are managing in the midst of this chaos. An amazing team there at Twelve Stone that you lead. How do you keep your leaders who are wired, right, to the speed of their device, which that's such a great line. They're wired to the speed of their device. They've got kids going a million different directions. How do you, as the the captain of that ship, keep your team encouraged? How do you do that in the midst of the madness of this world? Well, there's there's a, a couple of things we try to we try to focus on and and one of them really is it's a, it's a very it's a very uh, work placed uh, tension that we talk about and and, uh, and and the other one is kind of about the balance myth so so let, I'll do two two big ideas w- one is you you'll hear oftentimes people in any work environment it, again it could be in business it could be in a church it could be a a, a sports team you know a baseball team but um, I work too much, I work too much, I work too much. And here's what I've discovered. That many, while some people actually do work too many hours, they, they do, they just work too many hours. Most of the time, they don't, people don't work as many hours as they think, they actually just have a very busy life. <laughs> and so the reason, to, the reason it's important to distinguish, do you actually really work too many hours or do you just have a busy life? It's because there are two separate problems and they have two separate solutions. So therefore, if somebody actually, in, in terms of their career, they work too many hours, well, that's one solution. If somebody just has a very busy life, you know, they got the home is, you know, this broken, the kids and all, you know, it's just a busy life. That's a completely different solution. And what often happens uh, in the church, I mean, I talk with guys in business and stuff, is the people who have a really busy life, they take the angst and the pressure and the tension of that, and they fire that at their work. And they kind of put it all on their work, and they try to, and, 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 that, and they can't solve the problem because it's the wrong problem. 
So we get we get really honest about that by by actually looking at it and getting honest about it, and that helps a lot. Uh, the the second thing is we we talk about the difference between balance and rhythm. I uh, I I'm a <laughs> When I was younger, Mike, I, I used to try to figure out this whole balance thing. And because I would look at all these leaders and the closer I got to, to uh, all these amazing leaders, I thought none of them are balanced. They're crazy. I've never seen a good leader in my life who's balanced. I'm not sure I found a biblical picture of balanced. And, and, um, and so just begin to try to understand that. And now I don't believe in balance at all. You know, the, the idea of oh, I, I go to work at eight and I go home at five and I mow the grass at, on Saturdays at two. That, that just doesn't work for anybody. But I do believe in rhythm. Mm -hmm. And, and th th there's a rhythm in life that is so good and so healthy. And this kind of backs right back into the first thing we talked about, you know, the tension and the balance of home and work, family and work, because you, you want to win in both. And so, so. This dynamic balance, I always have this picture of a, of a metronome, so to speak, mm -hmm. going back and forth. And we always swing out to get something done. We always, we're always swinging out of center, whether you're swinging out to write a book or swinging out, you know, to get a big project done. You're swinging out to, to you know, it, you're going back and forth, whether daily or hourly or weekly or monthly or swinging back and forth. And what happens is where it breaks is when guys men and women swing out and they don't come back to center mm, mm. what that center is and they don't they don't come back uh, for example think about vacation right what is balanced about vacation for for a week or two you swing out and and you you eat like you you eat like a horse and you lay on a beach for a week right i mean what's balanced about that but in a in a rhythm it's it's vital and so, you know, what is that center people come back to? For, for me, Mike, uh, it's prayer and exercise. Mm. I, I don't know what it is for you or for others, but for me, every day, every day, every day, it's prayer and exercise, seven days a week. And if I do that, my family's good, I'm good. Uh, it, it, my, my life has a, a rhythm and a balance to it. But if I don't, it begins to collapse fast. Is there a trigger when you begin that collapse that you feel it? You're like, oh gosh, I missed a day. And it's not the God's going to love me more if, but I need this and I need this for my relationship with him. Is there a trigger that you go, that check engine light that comes on that you notice first? Yes. Yes. One of mine is my perspective goes askew really quickly. I start thinking my, my, my workload is bigger than it is. And my problems are bigger than they are. And, uh, that, you know, I, I, everything starts to get bigger. And when I get back, back, like I should be, uh, in prayer and just kind of that calm, peace, still inner voice, God's got this. It's not as big as I think it just, I don't have another word except to say an inner peace, the peace that God gives. Um, like you say, it's not, God doesn't love me more. I haven't lost myself, yep. but there's that I, I I'm, I'm, I'm forfeiting that daily bread. That I'm forfeiting that daily uh, spiritual peace and power and favor because I was in a I was in a hurry. Again, this is just a personal thing for me. Several years back, I've been a Christian for a long, long, long time, Mike. But it was only maybe five years ago uh, when a, a 
kind of a revelatory moment. I was down in my prayer room. I have a prayer room in my basement. And it's a, it's a haven for me. I love to be down there and pray and think and, you know, and, and just be quiet with the Lord. And I remember it was one of those days when I ran down there and I had one of those five-minute prayers and seven-minute prayers and I was going to dash back up again. And as I was just going out the door, God whispered to me, I will not be rushed. Mm. And he said, he said, it's okay. I love you. It's good. But if you want me, you can't rush me. And I've, you just, you just can't, I, I will not be rushed. And so it's all, you can, you can run out. You can, I'm with you. It's okay. But, but you, you can't, you can't rush this. And, and so it wasn't any big guilt about if you don't get up at 4 a.m. and pray for an hour. It was, he just said, you can't rush this. And, and I, man, that has just shaped me. And, and, and so I don't really worry about how many minutes. It's more the disposition of my heart. Am I rushing this or am I sitting here with God? Am I st- praying here? Am I, is this relationship have one that's more about the agendas about the relationship than it is about, okay, I got that done. And that is profound for me. What's been the biggest change in you? Because you had done ministry a long time before five years ago. So now that you've got the 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 rearview mirror to look back on these past five years, when you've been able to hit that pause and to not be rushed in that time with the Lord, what's been the biggest change you've seen in you as a leader? I, I think God has allowed me to carry that very disposition into my leadership. Uh, I'm, I, even though I'm type A and driven and, you know, you know what that's like. And, mm-hmm. uh, uh, I don't, I don't carry that into my relationships. I don't carry that into the way I interact with people. It's much more of a, I don't know if the poised is the right word, but it's, it's just much more of a non anxious presence that I can bring into, uh, my relationships and, um, uh, and, uh, able to just kind of bring that peace to others. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean I'm not in a hurry. It doesn't mean I, I, I don't have a lot of things to do. It just means I, I deliver it different. I, I wear it different. Um, it's a different perspective. I, don't, I can hear myself talking to you. I don't think I'm saying this well, but, but uh, I carry the same thing that, that's in that one-to-one time I, I think I carry that and I'm able to share that with others just in the way I interact. That's so good. You know, and, and Dan, I think, you know, as I look back on just knowing you through the years, gosh, I heard you probably late 1980s when Skyline staff came to New Hope, the church I grew up in. I remember going and sitting, I was a college student at the time, going and hearing you, and I picked up nuggets of yours through the years. But I remember one time, and I don't remember if it was in a lunch appointment you and I had, or I heard you on a podcast or read a blog. I don't even remember now. But you talked you talked about even slowing down when you're walking through a crowd of people to speak to people and not brush by. And that was a lesson you learned years ago. And well, yeah, expound on that a little bit, because a lot of these guys and ladies that listen, they are you know, they're like anybody else. They're very busy people. And it's really easy to blow through a day and just miss the most important conversations. Explain a little bit about 
how that came about that slowing down to one-on-one if somebody if you see somebody in a lobby or in a group talk to talk about that a little bit i I sure will i'll I'll tell you a short story because it was this was a long time ago probably one of the most profound life life change stories it was a mentor moment with john and i i had i was he's the the intern right The, the end of my first intern year and and uh he had asked me to stay and i i uh, i got my first report card from some volunteers well one staff and some volunteers and my report card back to john was this particular person got to john and said said pastor john pastor john he said what what was it the, the new guy the one you gave, gave us over christian education yeah we don't like him <laughs> wow and and you know we th- that was a three word report card that I that, that that that's not we don't like him we don't last four words I can't count <laughs> we don't like him and 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 John called me in his office and he said he said Dano it seems to me that you act more like you own the church than serve the church <sighs> son and 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 he said he said you're running around here you're you know trying to save the world and trying to build the church he said. Here, here's what I know. He said, you have a deep heart and a deep love and a, a profound love for people. But you're lousy at communicating it. It's in you deep, but you don't, you don't, you just run right by them. And if you don't learn to, I was just a kid. If you don't learn to change that, you're not going to make it. That little seven minute whatever it was nine minute that little moment changed my life and, and it was in that moment i don't think he had written this yet i don't know if it was i don't think i wasn't in a book yet I, i'm sure it maybe wasn't the first time he said it but he said dan uh first time i ever heard it people don't care how much you know till they know how much you care and 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 he said right after that the line that you had said he goes you gotta slow down you got to walk slowly through the crowds. That is your work. Those are your people. You need to learn how to get that love for people that you have that's in you. You need to learn how to communicate it, and you can't do it running by people. Now, today, you know, 35, seven years later, I'm so kind, and I love him to death. I'm so grateful for him. He'll, he'll name me as one of the most relational leaders he's ever known. Well, that came from that moment. How about that? Well, I, I will tell you this. That was a game changer. The day you told that to me, or I heard you say it, I don't remember where it was, but because our tendency is to get somewhere, to hurry, and we can see that as a negative, not a positive. And man, I'm telling you that I've passed that on to so many staff mates and teammates through the years. That that was that was a great lesson. And what I love about you, and I know our our listeners are getting to learn this a little bit, you are full of just incredible nuggets of truth. And you have another one. And I was telling you today, I just heard you say this, and I want to hear you break it apart. Speed and pressure. Two terms that everybody's super familiar with, but in any organization, speed and pressure are apparent and they're there talk to us a little bit about your thoughts about those two words sure uh in terms of leadership in any organization any team any kind of a business church whatever it might be speed and pressure is what reveals 
is speed and pressure reveals the quickest. Speed and pressure reveals who you are and your ability as a leader faster than anything else. Because as the organization grows, as the demands grow, as uh, 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 the things you have to do get bigger and larger, and everything gets faster. And as it's not just culture, it's the organization, it's all that combined. And they, everything moves, moves faster. We all know that. Everything moves faster and faster and faster. As things move faster, the pressure, and get larger, faster and larger, the pressure rises. Mm. And your ability to uh, navigate life as pressure and speed increases reveals really your capacity as a leader. For example, the, the, the Kevin, the senior pastor, the founding and senior pastor here at 12 Stone, he, he and I, the decisions we used to make in three months, we make in three weeks. Decisions we used to make in three weeks, we make in three minutes. We don't have any more time. And so if our skill set isn't, if our skill set, our experience, our disposition, that piece we talked about, if you're already out of control and frazzled or you don't have that sort of steadied mindset, um, you, can't, you can't keep up with the speed and pressure. Uh, when we're coaching someone in a skill, uh, in any, any kind of a, a organization, when we're coaching a, a pastor, say in a recruiting, you know, recruiting volunteer, and and a, a young pastor might say, an old pastor might say, well, I know how to recruit, and I would say, I agree, I think you do, but at what level? Mm. As there's it gets bigger, how many can you recruit? At what level can you recruit a CEO? How many? Do you know what I mean? Speed and pressure changes everything. I love that. And I don't know if you're familiar with Sam Chand and the book Leadership Pain. In fact, I think you turned Jason Britt onto that book, didn't you? I did. Yes. And Britt told me about it. And that was a game changing book. And I love what Dr. Chan says when he, and when he said, we'll only grow to the threshold of our pain that's and, it. and whatever. And that's the exact same thing. And I, I completely, completely agree with that. And we're going to have a link in our show notes Dan, to your book, Amplified Leadership, for people to go purchase that book, because that is a, and there's just so much wisdom in that book. How can people learn more about you and some of the writings and blogs and things you've got? Where, where can they go to learn more, Dan? You know, I think the simplest, fastest thing is just to my blog, because, okay. you know, at, at, I would just go to danrodden.com. Uh, okay. And that's it. It's all, all there. It's all free, you know. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, you you are a coach of coaches. You are a leader of leaders. And I cannot tell you enough thank yous for taking time. I hope we get to do this again because I've got about another half page of questions I want to get to you next time. But today was just so full. And Dan, thank you so much for all that you do because you are out there making a difference. Thank you. This has been fun, Mike. I've enjoyed it. Uh, I agree. Let's do it again. We'll get the we'll get the rest of the questions next time, and and uh, I really do think we need to go to PF Change. We need to get some get some hang time. I hope you enjoyed my time with Dan. You know there are just those people that have an ability to think differently. Dan's one of those people, and I remember the very first time I heard him years and years ago. It was probably in the late 1980s. And I remember thinking, golly, who thinks like that? Well, Dan does. And I am sure thankful there are people like Dan that are out there. And what I love is he doesn't keep his thoughts to himself. 
if you can go to our show notes, you'll see um, he has a great, great website, danryland.com, R-E-I-L-A-N-D, danryland.com, where he shares so many of his thoughts on leadership, so many of his thoughts on uh, structure and systems and process. Dan is a brilliant, brilliant leader who is making the kingdom better because of sharing his gifts with all of us. Thank you, Dan. You are a blessing to me, and you're a blessing to the kingdom. And I can tell you this, we're all better for a little bit of time with Dan Ryland. And those times he and I have gotten to sit down at lunch, I always leave and go, man, I wish everybody could have listened in to that conversation. Well, today you were able to listen in, and I hope you're better for it. Well, episode 49 is going to be a great one as well. We sit down with Brian and Shannon Miles. This dynamic duo is building one of America's most unique companies, Belay Solutions. And they have they have truly redone what we think of when we think of hiring a personal assistant or hiring help in our office because they have created the concept of doing it virtually. And they are making huge, huge strides in not only the church world, but in the business and corporate world as well. And you are going to love to hear their story and how they ended up where they are today. Well, once again, thanks for joining us on Lunch with a Leader. If you enjoyed your time, please go to iTunes and write a review for us. It helps us uh, with new people that haven't heard of us yet and haven't heard the great stories of some of the people we've gotten to meet. But once again, thanks for joining us. Until next time, go be the leader that you are created to be in the space and the place that God has put you. Thanks again for joining today. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.